Have you noticed how much attention we give to Scripture in our church? When we worship together, we read Scripture, we sing it, we pray it. Our worship service is oriented around two things, around Scripture and the table. Then we ask everybody to join a small group where we read Scripture and discuss Scripture. Then in today's worship guide, we've given you a devotional so that not just as a church and not just as small groups, but privately and personally, all by yourself, you'll engage with Scripture. Why do we do this? Why does our church give so much attention to the Bible? The reason? It's because of the nature of Scripture. This is is important. The reason our church gives so much attention to Scripture is because of the nature of Scripture. And what is the nature of Scripture? It is God's Word. God is not incommunicative. He communicates. He is speaking. We are not deists. God didn't get this whole thing started, wind it up like a clock, and then retreat into his private abode. He speaks. He communicates. To read the Bible, at least if you are properly prepared and you've got the right posture, the right attitude, to read the Bible in this way is to be addressed by God. So why wouldn't we gorge ourselves on it? If that's true. Stop using God's word as a metaphor in a suitcase and think for just a minute what the metaphor is meant to indicate. What what the suitcase is telling us. God's speech. God's address. Scripture is the primary way that God addresses his people. In our worship service, every Sunday, after the Old Testament and the epistle readings, the reader tells us the word of the Lord, the speech of God. God has just addressed us. To which we respond, thanks. Thank you that the creator, our maker, has spoken. Now, I'm not saying that scripture is the only way God speaks. It's not. God can speak to us in many ways, and he does. He can speak through communism, a concerto, a flowering plant, or a dead dog. He he can address us through an atheist or a pagan. He can address us in many ways. If he's the creator, that is possible. That is within his power, and it is part of the Christian confession that it's not only possible, it happens. And not only that, wherever God genuinely speaks, we should pay attention. We should listen to him. And yet, Scripture is the primary way God speaks. Now, if you have a Bible, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you're not sure where it is, find the table of contents. Big warning, it won't go in alphabetical order. Scan your eyes down, five books in, Deuteronomy. Find the fifth book, find Deuteronomy Go over to chapter 6. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, at the top of the page, it'll have the name of the book and then a number followed by some other numbers. That first number is the chapter, Deuteronomy 6. And let's start in verse 4. This little paragraph that Grace read to us, this is known as the Shema. 
S-H-E-M-A. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9 is the Shema. It gets that name because this part of the Bible, the Old Testament, was originally written in Hebrew. And we're reading a translation. And the very first word of that paragraph in Hebrew is Shema. So they've just given it the name that's the first word. And this little paragraph, it's, it is a foundational paragraph in the Bible. We've spent the last, I don't know, 16 or 18 weeks focused on Genesis 12, that hinge part of the Bible. This is another one of those very, very, very important parts of the Bible. In fact, Jewish people today, this paragraph forms the center of their morning and their evening prayers every day of their life. And not only Jewish people today, but Jesus himself, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment, quoted this paragraph. This is fundamental to the Bible. Now, because scripture is fundamentally in its nature, God's speech, God's address, Since that's the nature of scripture, the appropriate approach to scripture is not analysis But what? Listening. Right? If somebody comes to you to talk and you analyze what they said, have you ever felt the pain of that? Right? What is the fundamental approach to speech? Listening. Now, is there a place for analysis? Absolutely. But it must be an analysis rooted in listening. Our fundamental approach to Scripture must be to listen. To listen for what? For God's Address. Now look at Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. The very first word of the paragraph, like I said earlier, it's Shema. This is a verb. It's the imperative form of the verb. In Hebrew, that means it's a command. Listen. If you write in your Bible, you could X out the word here. Right above it, listen, exclamation point. It's also here. Here as a command. Listen. In this age where it is so hard to believe in God. We live in a moment in time where it's harder to believe than it is to not believe. And many, many, many people in our culture. That's a reality in their life. And many people in this room. Our belief is is fraught. We no longer believe instead of doubting. So many of us believe while doubting. We're all Thomases. When it comes to scripture though, here's the issue. We have to gamble on trust. We have to become like children. We have to approach scripture fundamentally trusting God will speak. And that is so difficult in this day and age. Where belief is so hard. But that's, that's our posture. That has to be our orientation. Do you know what it's like to say something to somebody whose fundamental attitude towards you is cynicism and skepticism and distrust? You know how that distorts the whole communicative process? If the nature of scripture is God's speech, then the nature of our reception has to be listening. And listening has to be rooted in trust. If not, it's a distortion. This is hard work. Hearing God's address in scripture starts With trust. The real presence of God fills scripture. And it miraculously makes scripture fruitful. In scripture the father who is in heaven. Comes lovingly to meet us. His children. And to talk with us. 
And if we're going to hear the Bible right, we have to gamble on that. We're host. When somebody knocks on the door, to be a good host, you have to gamble on trust. You have to open the door in an act of faith that they will not ravage you or destroy you. See, the move toward the Bible is to lay a clean cloth on the table in an act of faith that a guest who has your good has arrived. So when we open the Bible, it's not so much a matter of reading it as it is a matter of listening for God's address. Holy Scripture, Martin Luther said, is the garment which our Lord Jesus Christ has put on and in which he lets himself be seen and found, and I would add, heard. You see, the Bible is filled with truth. It is filled with cognitive, propositional truth. But when we objectify the Bible and focus only on its propositions, only on its information, only on its content, when we do that, we catch only half the sacred fish. If the Bible is God's address to his people, then our job is to listen for God to address us through the propositions, through the content. Sometimes God's address comes in the form of rules for living or insight into the nature of who God is and this world and ourselves. All of that is there, but fundamental to all of it is that the creator is addressing us. He is speaking. So our job is to listen. And so one of the most important passages in the whole Bible starts with a one word command. Listen. That's where it starts. Listen. Since scripture is the vehicle by the the means through which God speaks, our job is to approach the Bible with an attitude of respectful listening. A trembling, an open receptivity, a trusting, humble hospitality. That's the first word of Deuteronomy Chapter 6, verse 4. But notice the next word. And in Hebrew, there is one word that's next. Israel. It's written in a form, though, where we would put O before it. Listen, O Israel. What this alerts us to is that God's word is addressed primarily to his gathered people. Not listen, Abraham and Judah and Benjamin. But listen, Israel, the corporate group, listen. The gathered people, listen. The church is the primary context for hearing God's speech in Scripture. Because the church is the bride God has created to listen for her her groom's voice. God has created us to listen for his voice. Now, this is something that is taught throughout the Bible, but it's neatly pictured here. Our fundamental approach is to listen, and our fundamental context is as a group. Hear, O incarnation, O church. But there's more. While the church is the primary context in which God speaks through his word, worship is the primary event in which the church listens for her groom's voice. If you've got a Bible, keep your finger there because we're coming back, but turn all the way to the right, nearly to the maps. Find a book called Hebrews. Hebrews. Again, if you need to use your table of contents, that's wonderful. The Bible is one of those things that just takes 
Constant use to get used to it and to know where stuff is. Hebrews chapter 2. Listen to verse 11 and 12. Hebrews 2, 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, pay close attention. I, who's the I? Who's the speaking subject? It's Jesus Christ, the Son. I will tell of your name. Who's the your? It's the Father. So here Jesus is saying, I will tell of your name. He's talking to the Father. To my brothers, that's you and me, brothers and sisters, in the midst of the congregation. I, Jesus, will sing your, the Father's praises. This is a remarkable place in Scripture where the author of the epistle to the Hebrews takes Psalm 22. You know that famous psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he takes this remarkable passage out of it and he puts it into the mouth of the Son addressing the Father. Saying that when the church is gathered in worship, that's what a congregation is. We're not a congregation when we're out on mission. We're not a congregation when we're doing service. We're not a a congregation is when we are gathered in worship. I When the church is gathered in worship, Jesus says, I will declare the Father's name to you and me. And in the midst of us, he will sing the Father's praises. The church gathered together for worship is the appointed place where God promises to meet with his people through his son. When we come to this room, Sunday after Sunday, we come here for a multitude of reasons. But primarily we come here to eat and drink of Christ, to meet him and to hear him. It is Jesus Christ who speaks to us when scripture is read and preached in worship. Over and over throughout the Bible, what we see is that when the scriptures are preached, God himself speaks like a king through the mouth of a herald, his preacher. Now, the overall picture and message of the Bible is clear. Uh, Meyer Sternberg, uh, a secular Jew who's a brilliant literary critic. Sternberg says the overall picture of the Bible, and for him that definitely means just the Old Testament. He hates the New Testament. He says that a lot. But he says the primary message is foolproof, by which he means the big picture is easy to get. We as Christians would say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only God. The, the big picture, the primary message is clear. But don't you know there is so much about the Bible that's unclear and so difficult? Have you ever opened the Bible and been totally lost? That's a major reason why you, all of you, are in holy orders. All of us, every person in this room is a full-time minister. Full-time ministry is all of us. And we're all called into ministry in our vocation. My ministry happens to be the church. My vocation is the church. Your vocation might be business or teaching or homemaking or all sorts of things. But you're just as much of a minister as I am. We're all full-time ministers. We are all in holy orders. Whenever you go to your work, whether it's a student going to school or an engineer going to engineering, you are going as much as a minister as I am this morning. You're a full-time minister. Now, but 
since scripture is the way that God addresses us, and since so much of the Bible is so difficult, this is one of the reasons that you set people apart, like me, to give their full-time attention to the Bible and to prayer. A pastor is someone appropriately gifted to, vo- to devote his full time to prayer and the word. And if we are to listen fully to God's address through scripture, then we need skilled preachers who increasingly lift the veil that remains over so much of scripture so that we can hear God addressing us. But we've got to be very careful here because it is a mistake To think that a preacher's job, that the purpose of a sermon is only to increase our knowledge of the Bible and of Christianity. You see, it would be a mistake to take what I've said and think a sermon is a lecture. That's definitely part of the purpose of preaching, to increase our knowledge. But if scripture is the primary way in which God addresses us, the primary way in which God gives himself to us and draws us into his very life, then preaching is never there simply to illuminate, simply to teach us things we don't know. Your job isn't to sit here week after week as a learner. Your job is to lean forward and to learn in order to hear God's address. Your job is to lean forward, to listen through the words of the sermon, through the scripture, to listen for our groom who is addressing us. In addition to teaching, the purpose of preaching is to enable us to encounter again and again and again the living God who comes to us in Christ. The sermon is not a lecture. The business of the sermon is to bring us as hearers, Face to face with Jesus Christ as he really is. So in the reading and preaching of scripture, our job is to lean forward with a trembling and open receptivity. A a trusting, humble hospitality, listening for God's address, receiving God's address like little children. Gambling in trust that it is the God who made all things, who is revealed in Christ that is speaking to us. Now, going back to the Shema, back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Let's look at it again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. What we see here is that the oneness of God's being demands our entire life. Hero Israel, what? Who God is. Who is God? He is one. And that, that fact, that mind-boggling fact, demands the response of our entire life. The appropriate response to who God is, the appropriate res- consequence is for us to give God our unreserved love, our exclusive faithfulness, our total allegiance. That's, by the way, what it means to love God with All your heart and soul and might. It means unreserved love, exclusive faithfulness, and total allegiance. The goal of hearing God speak through his word. Notice it's not just to hear him speak. There's a a purpose for God speaking through his word. And what is that purpose? It's that God's word would take possession of our heart. The innermost core of our being. The central part of us from which our entire life springs forth. 
The goal of God speaking is to get down to the source of you. So that our whole life in its entirety can flow out focused on God. So a purpose of hearing God's address through scripture is not just so that we can learn things about God and his world and ourselves. Definitely a part of it. It's not just an encyclopedia of truth about reality. Definitely a part of it. But it's notice here the goal is for your deep inner transformation. So that you are transformed into someone who is radically allegiant to God. And loves him in every square inch of your life. And don't we need this transformation? Aren't you like me deeply disoriented? Isn't your life disintegrated by original sin? By indwelling sin? By our actual sins and by the broken patterns, the effects of being sinned against and by the patterns and powers of this present age. Doesn't this distort us deep inside? Don't we have problems in our life? Don't we have instincts and reactions and actions that are not the way they should be? Don't we need deep inner transformation to become people who love God and love with God's love? But notice How does that happen? How do you open yourself up to God so that his word can actually get to the deep places of your heart? The Shema begins with and prioritizes God's address to us corporately here in worship. But as you keep reading the Shema, it pushes beyond worship. Beyond our corporate gatherings. Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Look at verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. How do they get there? How does this word going forth in the congregation actually get into our heart? To the deep places of our life. The center of our life. From which all of our... How does God's word sink all the way down into our very essence? Well, look at verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So God's primary way of addressing his people is through scripture in worship, in the sermon. But notice here, in worship, the word of God is living and active maximally, but not exclusively. Public, corporate, weekly worship is primary, but insufficient. We have to push past public worship. In order for God's word to get all the way to our heart and actually transform us and nourish the deepest parts of our life, our being, so that it dominates our action and our thought, our public and private life, for this kind of real inner transformation, we must extend and deepen our engagement with scripture beyond worship. How do we do that? How do we, how do, how does our reception of scripture go beyond worship? Where Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9 tells us, through our homes. Do you see the movement of the passage? Listening for God's address is how we are to approach scripture. This happens primarily as a corporate body, as a church in worship. And a central goal of attending to God's word is for his word to be internalized and integrated and incorporated into our very being. And yet scripture doesn't sink immediately 
into our deeper parts, our deeper lives automatically through sitting in a worship service. It doesn't automatically become a vital part of our inner world. We have to extend our engagement with scripture, our listening, our reception into our homes on a daily basis. Do you see the logic in the passage? It's in our homes where the habits of our hearts are shaped. It's in our homes where we are formed day in and day out through the humble reception of God's address in Scripture. We need to shape our homes so that in our home, God's Word can shape us. We need to shape our homes so that it becomes an environment creatively conducive to what? Listening. Now that's the key. We have to develop homes that are creatively conducive to the very first thing required of somebody with scripture, a listener. And so we're doomed. This is daunting. If listening is the key, then we've got to become the kind of people who can listen. But we live in this culture with such an enormous proliferation of data and information. And we've exchanged biological time with its natural limits and God-given rhythms for a technological time which has lost all rhythmical flow and erased all boundaries. And all this creates a ubiquitous din of words that makes us numb and deaf. Uninterrupted speech deafens. Have you ever sat at a table with somebody who doesn't stop talking? You know what it does? You know what uninterrupted speech does? It makes you numb. It becomes the hum of insignificance. So listen, if we're going to extend the hearing of God's word into the home, learn from our worship service. What do we work so hard to do in a worship service? To create silence and space. We've got, to, we've got to creatively find ways of making, of getting our homes much quieter. Because our children have to learn how to listen. Listening is not a technique. It is a posture that comes over hard work. Because someone who has not been sufficiently listened to becomes incapable of listening And a person incapable of listening will fall victim to our culture. In such a culture, recovering the posture of listening is a primary task of the home. Let me tell you one practical way Janelle and I work on this in our house. With six talkers. (laughs) Uh, You can guess who the seventh um, quiet person is. At dinner... Very frequently, we do something we've learned from St. Ignatius called the examine, E-X-A-M-E-N. Where we, we go around the table and we ask everybody, what was the best part of your day? When, what, what did you love today? And what was the worst part? Now, that's the children's version. If it's adults, we would say, when today were you most alive, most connected to others, to yourself, when today were you most disconnected from others and on the inside you were, you were alienated? But for children, it's when did you have the most fun? And then we make every child at the table turn their body to the speaker. And we tell our kids like a mantra, you have to listen with your body. 
And this child's not answering just to mom and dad, but to the room. And you know how hard it is to get children to do this? But we do it over and over and over. And what are we doing? We're doing two things. One, we're teaching children to listen. Because it is the selfishness of children that walks into a room talking before they listen. And it is our job as parents to train that out of them. And secondly, we're teaching each of our children to listen to their own inner life. If you can't listen to your own inner life, you are doomed. The best gift we can give our child is to grow up knowing who they are. What makes them tick? What makes them alive? What doesn't work for them? Train up a child in the way he should go. My job is to train up Shay in the way that Shay should go. Who is Shay made to be? Well, I don't know that. I've got to lead Shay to discover that by developing a capacity for listening to her own inner life. See, these are ways that we, another way we as a family work on creating a culture of listening is we don't have a computer in the house. Well, we've got one, but when it's unplugged, it's a laptop, it dies and it's on a shelf in a closet. And our kids don't have TVs in their room. Our kids, we, we have a tremendous, you know, Spencer says, Dad, other kids my age have phones. This is a hard thing for an adolescent to go through in our culture. But our response is, our gift to you, the best gift we can give you, is so that there are big moments in boredom in your life. The child who's not bored cannot listen to God, and that is a catastrophe. Listening has to be rooted in silence. And there's many kinds of silence. There's a silence of I'm ignoring you and thinking my own thought, but there's a silence of generous hospitality where I'm giving all of my attention, the very being of who I am to you. And that's hard work. We've got to recover creative ways of pushing out the chaos so that our homes are, are palaces of listening. Now, not only do we need to recover the home as a place where we listen and are heard, but notice what Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9 tells us. It tells us more. And these words that today command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We've got to extend the reception of God's address through Scripture into our homes, not only by creating in creative ways, ways of listening, but also, get this, through concrete practices and symbols that are a part of regular daily life. Concrete practices, rituals, habits, symbols woven into the warp and woof of our regular daily home life. And we've got to be creative about this. In a creative and life-giving way, Scripture has to suffuse our homes. Now, some of you have had bad experiences with this. It can be hard to see how to put this into practice if you grew up in a place where daily devotions were like the forced march. Whether you're living by yourself or living in a house with six other people, whether you're a single or a big family or a widower, or a college student, we have got to get in as intentional about the place of Scripture in the home as we are about the place of Scripture in worship. 
Do you know how hard we've worked on the way scripture functions in this service? You've got to work that hard in creative ways about getting scripture into your home. And there are many, many, many ways to do this. But don't get me wrong, preaching does not belong in the home. It belongs in the worship service. It doesn't even belong when I'm in pastoral counseling with you. Preaching is appropriate to the worship service. It's amazing how you sit and listen and receive. But if I were to stand up in another environment and try to pull this off, (laughs) I can think of some, some environments where it wouldn't end in my good. Preaching in the home is a category mistake. Dads, you don't need to be a preacher. Moms, you don't need to be a preacher. Preaching is central to the way we listen to scripture in church, but not in the home. Preaching is for worship. Bring it into the house and your family devotions, and you're going to end up inoculating your children and your friends against Christianity. It's a category mistake. So let me give you an example of how Janelle and I have tried to creatively bring scripture in our home. When Janelle and I began to have children, we'd been married for eight years, uh, nine years, I think. When we began to have children, we began to look for ways to disciple our children. And like this church, we, do not, we didn't go to a church that had Sunday school. So we began to look for ways to do this. To creatively fill our homes... Not just with a culture where listening is created. I've shared with you about that. But where we're engaging scripture. And you know what we discovered? We discovered the church calendar. The most powerful tool I know of. For bringing scripture into the home. The church calendar with its rituals. Next week is Advent. Let me show you what we discovered. Janelle, did you bring the candle? It's in that box. Okay. So I'm not telling you you have to do this. um, And I won't judge you too much if you don't. This is a way we brought scripture in our house. Okay. So there's a lot of writing in the back of the worship guide about what the church calendar is. Okay. The church year starts next week. The fourth Sunday prior to Christmas. The church year doesn't start on a particular day of the calendar it starts four Sundays before Christmas and it's and and then from then until Christmas is Advent our our culture wants us to think it's Christmas so we'll spend lots of money because that's the way a, a, a nation stays healthy is every year it's expenditure goes up which I don't understand but here's how we do it in in your worship guide you've got this thing in that this insert don't read it now um Or if you do, read it with like one eye so I think you're listening with the other eye. So, like this, I don't know. So, look at the daily scripture reading for prayer and meditation. This is called a Jesse tree. What we do is um, uh, every day of Advent, we read a part of the Bible. I've listed it here in red. It starts on page one. And it's key parts that tell the story of Jesus, the story of the Bible, starting on page one, going up to the birth of Jesus. It's a story. And um, you see the little thing in parentheses, globe and bird. So we, um, 
I don't think that ornament's on here. We didn't put them all on here. We make these ornaments with bakeable clay with our children. We read that part of the Bible. Um, before we do, we sing very badly and loudly. Um, the passage out of Isaiah, which I will now show you how to sing it badly and loudly. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. We sing that as a family. And as we do it, there's seven of us. So this is easy. Uh, we go in age order. Sundays belong to Janelle. She's the oldest. Um, Mondays are... <laughs> Mondays belong to Aubrey. Tuesdays to Spencer. That way we don't have to remember who did it yesterday, which can lead to like civil war to home. If you ever... Um, Whatever day it is, it's that person's. As we're singing, they light the candle. And the reason we light a candle is um, because the Bible says Jesus is the light of the world. And it reminds us that Christ is in the room. Christ is in our midst. We're bringing ourselves to attention before him. This is called an Advent countdown candle. candle. Um, these, unfortunately, the people who make Advent countdown candles don't know that Advent's a different number of days every year. Because it starts on the fourth Sunday. So there's actually 25 this year. Different Anyway. We burn it, burn it, burn it until we get to the 1st of December. Then we'd start burning through a number each day. And we're counting down to Christmas. And there's fire involved, which is always fun. And uh, then we read the passage of the story. And whichever person's day it is gets to place the ornament from that day. And it's just wonderfully creative. And Now, here's what we do. After we read the story, sometimes that's all we do is read the story. And sometimes we ask, parents, here's a... Here's a Kids, what did you notice in the story? And we just, want to know, we just want them to learn to give attention to the Bible. Sometimes Janelle and I answer in ways, here's what the story means. But you don't even have to do that every time. You don't have to bootleg, a, all right? And one other thing, we use something often called the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is the most wonderful Bible. It tells the stories in wonderful ways and has great paintings. Um, sometimes I bring out other paintings, but again, you don't have to do, you don't have to make this hard. This is a way that we're bringing, and then we, we end each day with this. And you can do this, you can do this in 15 minutes. And you don't even have to be a child to do this, right? But you've got to figure something out. You've got to figure out how you're going to bring scripture into your home. Because we need it. If scripture's going to get all the way into our hearts. Um, if you want... Look, the, the ornaments are listed. You just make them in your own creative way or go buy stuff, whatever you want to do. Find your own little Charlie Brown Christmas tree. And um, some of them are quite cool. This is uh, Mary pregnant. Yeah, some of them are really neat. So, all right. God has graciously promised to bless us with his transforming presence through Scripture. Primarily... In worship, but not sufficiently. It must extend beyond. But be very careful how you extend it because you can actually inoculate if you're not careful. Find the creative ways that match the rhythms of your house and who you are. And as we do this, may He bless us as we seek to open the deepest part of our lives to His Son, who is living and present in His Word. And may we all move from grace to grace by faith. Let's pray.